Today we're going to continue through the book of Acts. So it's been a little while. It's been a little while since we've been in the book of Acts, but I think it's fitting to jump back in as we begin uh, this new year. Today we're going to be talking about the gospel and missions. The gospel and missions um, from Acts chapter 13. Let me pray for us one more time and we'll get going here. Father in heaven, Lord, how marvelous, how wonderful is your love for us. And so, God, I pray that we would never take your love for granted. But I pray, God, that it would just just goad us, would spur us on, God, to love others in the same way that you have loved us. Lord, and as we talk about here at Hillside, Lord, that our calling, according to your word, is to love you, to love our neighbors, and is to make disciples. And making disciples is the great expression of our love for you and our love for neighbors. Lord, by bringing the joy of Christ and the eternal hope of Christ into their life, that they may rejoice and, and love and praise you as you are worthy. So it's an act of love to you. It's an act of love to neighbor. And God, I pray that it would be the, the mission of our lives and of our church, God, to make your name known to the ends of the earth. So speak to us now, we pray, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I do invite you to turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Now, if you uh, remember from where we left off before, we were in the middle of uh, Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. I believe we have the map um, there. And you'll remember from uh, last time that the church at Antioch in Syrian Antioch, kind of the, the most famous Antioch, they commissioned Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And so they set sail on that red line there um, on the way to Cyprus. And they, you remember they had um, an encounter there with a Jewish magician named Bar-Jesus, and uh, uh, Paul kind of cursed him, and he went blind for a while, and all that crazy stuff happened. Um, but uh, they go up to Perga, um, and then eventually they make their way to another Antioch called Pisidian Antioch, you can see up there. And um, last time the, uh, in the book of Acts, we talked... The sermon was titled, um, The Gospel According to Paul. And in that message, we went through Paul's preaching of the gospel at the synagogue there in Pisidian Antioch, which I believe is the largest, uh, uh, lengthiest um, sermon or speech of Paul in the book of Acts. And it's where Luke was delineating to us uh, the the message that Paul typically preached to the synagogues any time he entered a city. And so last time we were just kind of left, we're kind of left wondering, well, well, what happened? What happened, uh, what happened in Pisidian Antioch? What happened after Paul went into that synagogue and preached the gospel? And what we see is, uh, well, we, we see lots of things happen. Um, and we're going to talk about that this morning as we talk about different aspects of the gospel and missions and what we can expect as we go and proclaim the gospel um, in the work of mission. So that's what I want to talk about today as we talk about the gospel and missions from Acts chapter 13. If you're able and willing, let me invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word 
We're going to read in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 42. Verse 42. It says, As they went out, that is, out from the synagogue, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city Uh, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number, both of Jews and Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, so we're going to look at four uh, aspects of missions here. Number one, missions proclaiming. Missions proclaiming, there's two kinds of responses. Number two, missions going is the fulfillment of Scripture. Number three, missions producing. Mission produces joy to the nations. And number four, missions persevering. Missions involve suffering for the name of Jesus. So we're going to talk about each of those in turn. But first, we're going to talk about missions proclaiming, two kinds of responses. So we're here, we're at Presidian Antioch. This is the first missionary journey. Um, This is um, a fairly significant city. And uh, Paul has entered into the synagogue, as was his custom. When he first entered a town, he almost virtually always first preached the gospel to the Jews in the synagogue, understanding that the Jews should have the first opportunity to believe in their Jewish Messiah named Jesus. Now, we see how the people in Pisenian Antioch responded to the gospel, and it's unsurprising that the responses were mixed, all right? First, we see in verse 42 that some of the people were so enthralled and intrigued by this message that they had never heard before that they literally begged Paul and Barnabas to come back the next Sabbath day, all right, to learn more. And many people couldn't even wait that long And it says that in verse 43, they followed Paul and Barnabas 
from the synagogue to where they were staying, including Jews and devout converts. So um, devout converts there would mean, uh, most likely would mean Gentiles who had fully converted to Judaism. So you now think about how serious that is because if you're a Gentile, you're a non-Jew, that's not your heritage, that's not your culture, you didn't grow up with that kind of lifestyle, and Jewish you know, to become a full Jew, if you were a male, that means you had to be circumcised, uh, which was unpleasant. Uh, and then you had to keep the entire Old Testament law. So if you converted to Judaism, you were pretty serious about this religion, about your, the Jewish God. But many of them, in addition to the Jews, and, and at that point you were considered a, a, a full Jew. But hearing this message of uh, Paul and Barnabas about Jesus, they followed him and many of them became believers, apparently, because it says that Paul and Barnabas urged them to continue in the grace of God. That most likely means many of them uh, became believers. Now, these Jewish converts and these Jews were certainly precious to Paul because they shared his own bloodline and his own cultural background. We know in the book of Romans, if you read Romans um, 9 especially, uh, Paul and, and 10, Paul talks about how he grieves for the fact that so many of his own blood, his own people, the Jewish people, by and large rejected their own Savior. It breaks his heart. And it, it kills him that that's the fact. But nevertheless, that's the case. But, the, the, but we do see that many of the Jews in the places where Paul preached did believe, including some here in Pisidian Antioch. All right? And so, um, so they, he preached the gospel and they heard the good news of Jesus. The, the Jews and the con converts would have known the Old Testament Scripture, unlike just the average kind of pagan Gentile out there. They would have studied the Scripture. They would have understood the claims that Paul was making. They would have, uh, they would have the, the Holy Spirit would have opened their eyes to, to, to connect the dots about how all these passages of Scripture were ultimately pointing to Jesus, and, they, and then they would have recognized that, that the Jesus that Paul was proclaiming was, in fact, God's promised Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and, and their minds just would have been blown. And so they were just so excited about, about what they have now seen and understood, and, and, they, and they convert to Christ and, and are following Paul and become Christians and are the, the earliest Christians there in the city of Antioch. Okay? Now, what we also see in this account is that this synagogue apparently had many prominent people uh, in it from the city, and so when Paul and Barnabas proclaimed this message, we see that it, it, it caused quite a stir. In fact, it became the talk of the town, all right? In fact, it says there that on the next Sabbath, almost the entire city came out to hear what Paul and Barnabas had to say. That's, you know, that's kind of a big deal. The whole city, it, 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 was such a, it caused such a stir in the city. It was such the talk of the town that week that everybody felt like they had to come out that following Sabbath day to hear for themselves what was going on. All right, and now at first glance, when you read that, you think, oh man, that's wonderful. <laughs> you know, this is awesome. You know, the whole city, you know, the whole city came to church. You know, how awesome is that? You know, but uh, we recognize here that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as glamorous as it might have looked. Uh, we can never forget that the devil will not take the plundering of his kingdom lying down. And so we're not surprised to find that when that a number of the Jews there did not believe, 
And when they saw the crowd there, it says that they were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy, okay? And they began to contradict the words spoken by Paul. Now, it's not clear 100% what they were, what they were jealous of. I mean, on the surface of it, 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 it kind of sounds like they were jealous of the fact that, you know, Paul and Barnabas were able to gather a huge crowd, okay? But I think there was, I think there was more to it than that. As they begin to grasp and understand the, the, the gospel that Paul was proclaiming, I think they began to understand the implications of what he was saying, right? Because what, what, does the, what is the gospel saying, especially with regards to Gentiles? It's saying that even non-Jewish people, which is all of us, right? Even non-Jewish people can come into and come under the promises of God, made to the Jewish nation. We can, we can come into that. We can become part of God's one people that he's saving from the world. We can, we can come under the, the blessings and the promises of God given to Israel. Not through Judaism, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that, that, as we've been talking about, that, that's, that's, that's earth-shaking. That, that, that's that, that's earth-shattering, Okay. <clears throat> Because for the Jewish people, right, I think they were probably, because the, the same word for jealousy can also mean zeal. And so I think probably that they were, they were consumed with jealousy and zeal for, the, for their Jewish religion, right? When they, when they saw that these, Jew, that, the, that these Gentiles, that these non-Jews could, could receive the blessings of God promised to Israel, all right, not by becoming Jewish, but, by, but through faith in Jesus, I believe that they... They felt like uh, that something was being taken from them, that, 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 that their privileges were being given to people who didn't deserve it, <clears throat> all right? And they, and, they, and they had a zeal, a, a, a jealousy for their faith, for their religion, for their culture, for their, for their, uh, for their promises, okay? It, it's kind of like, like the parable. Remember the parable that Jesus told about the, the owner of the vineyard, and he goes to the market and he finds people to work at the earliest part of the day, and then he comes back later in the day, and he gets more people, and then he and then he goes all the way to like a couple hours before day's over, and he finds even more people to work, and then at the end when he pays everybody, what does he do? You remember, the last people who only worked a couple of hours, what does he do? He pays them the same as he paid the people who worked all day, and the people who worked all day said, "What? That's not fair." And what does the master say? Do you remember? Why do you begrudge my generosity? In other words, what? They were jealous. Because what? Because not because the master paid them a fair wage. They agreed to a denarius for the day, and that's what he paid them. The master paid them a fair wage. What they were upset about was that he was treating some people better than they deserved. And that's what we're seeing here, right? The Jews are being jealous because not... Not that the Gentiles are somehow deserving of God's grace. You can't deserve God's grace. But the point is, is that God was being gracious to them, and it bothered them. All right? They were jealous. All right? Beware of, the jeal- beware of jealousy when God blesses someone else. Got to beware of that. But what do we see here? We see two responses to the gospel, right? We see, we see faith in Christ and joy at God's mercy towards sinner like us. That's response number one. Or response number two, we see rejection of the gospel and pride as if, 
as if, you know, we, we don't need Christ or we're, we're just fine without him. So there's two responses, basic responses to the gospel. We either embrace the gospel or we reject it. We either embrace the gospel or we reject it. <clears throat> there's lots of things. There's things in life that are gray. There's things in life that are black and white. But in, this is one of those things that are black and white. You either embrace the gospel or you reject it, okay? And my plea, of course, and my prayer for everybody in this room and whoever might be watching online or at some point in the future is that you would embrace the gospel, right? That you would acknowledge your sin and your need for mercy, that you would rejoice that God has given you his son to show you grace, which nobody deserves, that you might be forgiven of your sins and inherit eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the gift of Jesus Christ. And there's only two responses. You either embrace it and accept it or you reject it. Now, as we, and as we share Christ and as we think about missionaries, uh, both us going across the street and across the county sharing Christ and as well as across the world, we must remember that when you share Christ with someone, you're going to get one of those two responses, right? And people are on journeys, you know. I mean, you might just be planting a seed, and then later on, other people will water that seed, and then eventually they might come to Christ. But the point is, is that there's, there's, there's two basic responses. And, but we must remember that, hey, when, you, when we're sharing Christ with people, look, don't get discouraged if, if people don't immediately respond to the message that you're saying, right? You have not failed if somebody isn't immediately converted when you share Christ. You have not failed. To share the gospel with them is, to, is, is a victory, right? Because our job isn't to coerce people into the faith. You can't do that anyway, all right? Our job is to speak the truth in love, knowing that some, not all, but some will believe. And so that's our mission. That's the mission, is to proclaim the gospel, knowing that there'll be two kinds of responses. So number one, missions proclaiming, two kinds of responses. Number two, missions going, fulfillment of Scripture. Okay, so missions going is the fulfillment of Scripture. In verse 26 there, it says that uh, uh, Paul said it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, that is to the Jews. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made, a light, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So as we talked about first, it was necessary for him to preach the gospel to the Jews because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Nevertheless, he gives them a warning because many of them were turning away from the gospel. And he warns them and he says, hey, by, by thrusting the gospel aside and not embracing it, what are they doing? Well, listen to this. He says, you are judging yourselves unworthy of eternal life. That's what you're doing. When you reject Christ, you're judging yourselves unworthy of eternal life. So that's the, that's the magnitude and that's the gravity of what we're talking about when we're proclaiming the gospel, all right? This isn't, you know, rejecting Jesus isn't just a character flaw. It isn't just a, a, a small little mistake, all right? It is, it is you rejecting the very mercy of God. It is you denying yourself the only path the way that God has provided to be forgiven of your sins and to have the hope of eternal life, right? We are all in the same boat. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We will all either get what we deserve in hell or we will get better than we deserve by the mercy of God in heaven, all right? But that mercy is, exists by one means through Jesus Christ and is received by one means 
through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. And if we don't embrace God's provision, we're rejecting him, we're rejecting his mercy that he has shown to us, and we are deeming ourselves unworthy of eternal life. Please don't do that. (laughs) Embrace Christ. Trust in him. All right? But nevertheless, by and large, the Jews rejected Jesus, and one of the results of that was that Paul and Barnabas, after first proclaiming to the the Jews, go and proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And in fact, this was part of God's plan, and they cite scripture for that. He says, The Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That, that last sentence there is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. Isaiah 49, 6 says this. It says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Now, that's an incredible verse because in the context, it most naturally is referring to Jesus, all right, as God's servant, famous servant from the book of Isaiah, all right? And notice what God is saying there about Jesus. He's saying there that it's too small of a thing for Jesus just to be Lord of Israel. He's got to be Lord of the whole world. Jesus is too great to just rule one nation. He must rule all nations, all right? And so because of that, Jesus is not just going to restore Israel by bringing bringing the opportunity of salvation to the Jewish people. He also is going to be a light for the whole world, for the whole nation, that the salvation of God may reach to the ends of the earth. And so most naturally that verse is, is applying to Jesus, but Paul and Barnabas quote that verse and is basically saying, that it applies to them as well. Well, how does that work? Well, it is because they see themselves not merely as just doing their own thing, but that they themselves are what? They're the hands and feet of Jesus, right? As they go out and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth, it is not merely them, right? Remember what Paul said? Um, He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? And so Paul and Barnabas are basically saying, look, we, we're, we're instruments of Christ to do this very thing, right? To make sure that Jesus gets the glory that he deserves by making sure that there, are, that there is a light of the gospel to all the people so that there may be a people of every nation, every tribe, and every tongue that worships the king. That's the goal of mission. That's the aim of missions, and Jesus is worthy of it. And that's, that's what we do, right? When we participate in the mission of Christ, when we take it up as a command, to be a light to the world, right? We are doing what? We're joining Jesus in his work of fulfilling the scripture that, that is going to happen, right? That, that, that must happen, all right? It's not, it's not, there's, not, there's not a question mark about that verse. The salvation is going to the ends of the earth. There are billions, uh, supposedly at least, of Christians on earth right now. There are believers in every country of the world, all right? And so this has happened and it will continue to happen. And so my prayer for our church, is this, is that I pray that God would grant Hillside to be a missionary church. And so we need to work and pray to this end, all right? That, that this, is, this is our task. This is what we have been appointed to do. This is where we take up, just like the church at Antioch. What did they do in Syrian Antioch? They commissioned Paul and Barnabas, right, for this mission, for this calling God had in their life because that church viewed it as part of their job to be the hands and feet of Jesus to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's, that's, a, that's part of our mission as a church and every church's mission 
to be a missionary church. Because, because why? Because we are recipients of that, right? We are recipients of that. Uh, we are currently thousands of miles away from uh, J- Jerusalem, all right? Well, guess what? Somebody somewhere over the past 2,000 years decided that these lost Americans over there need Jesus, okay? And so they got the gospel to us. And now that it has arrived to us, we don't, we don't just want it to stop right here. We want to then pick it up and send it elsewhere to other places that need it. And all of this is fulfillment of the scripture of God. So number one, missions proclaiming two kinds of responses. Number two, missions going, fulfillment of scripture. Number three, missions producing joy to the nations. Mission produces joy to the nations. One of the most famous book on missions ever written, which is a phenomenal book and I highly commend it to you, is a book called Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. And the book's title is based off of Psalm 67, verse 4, which says this. It says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity, and you guide the nations upon the earth. Now think about that verse for a second, right? This is Old Testament, right? This is Old Testament. But what's the point? The, the idea is that God as judge and God as guide of the world, right, does what? It brings joy. What should the nations do concern, with respect to God? What should they do? They should, they, they should be glad. Let the nations be glad in what? In God, right? And the, fam- the most famous statement from that book um, is this. Uh, Piper writes, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't, right? <clears throat> what, is, what is he saying? Well, he's saying this, right? There are places in the world where pe- there, is, there is only one God. There's only one true God. There are places in the world where that God is not worshipped. They're worshipping idols. They're worshipping false things that aren't real, right? They're, they're treasuring and valuing other things beside more than the one true God, right? They're not worshipping the one true God. They're not giving him the worship he deserves, right? We do missions because we do missions to send people there to tell them the gospel. Why? Because worship doesn't exist there. So, in other words, one of the goals of missions is to produce worship. And I would add another, th- another thing to that, and, and I would say missions exist because true joy doesn't, right? Because why, why do we send missionaries? We send missionaries to send joy because the nations are to be glad in God, to be glad in God, all right? So now think about this. Missions and evangelism are two acts that, are, that we are tasked with as a church, and there are, two things, there are two things that you cannot do in heaven, right? There is a time coming when we will no longer be able to do missions and to do evangelism. Why? Because there will be no more lost people. In the age to come, right, when the final judgment happens, the, Jesus said the sheep will be separated from the goats, and the only ones that will remain are those who rejoice in Christ, who know Christ, who trust in Christ. And so, so, but so now is the time of proclamation. Now is our opportunity to tell people about Jesus. If you don't tell them now, you won't have the opportunity to tell them later. All right? Now is the time for faith. Now is the time for repentance. Now is the time to give people eternal joy by telling them of the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And, and, and I love that this is really emphasized in this passage. All right, because it says there in verse 48 that when the Gentiles heard that, because, because you, you know, you got to think, right? You know, lots of the Gentiles, 
they, they were looking at, at, at Judaism, and, and there, were, there was a category of people called God-fearer who, like, they, they, they believed in Israel's God, but they were just like, man, that's just, that, all that, that law, that's just too much, all right? And so they, they didn't, like, fully convert. And, and, and what's happening here is that these Gentiles, when, they, when Paul was saying, hey, look, Jesus Christ has come because the Jews couldn't even keep the law anyway— Jesus Christ has come to bring salvation to all people. And then these Gentiles realize, oh my gosh, God's mercy is extending even to me, not this special group of people over here, but even to me, if I will turn from my sin and trust in Christ, it says that they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, right? And so they, they rejoiced. They rejoiced because, because God's mercy included them, I can't think of a greater cause for joy than that. And so one of the things the gospel does is it brings joy. It brings joy that God's mercy includes even us. I mean, there's some people out there just like, I don't, I don't understand how, how God's mercy can extend even to me, but it does. You know, and that's what's so interesting about today and really sad if you think about it, right? We live in a day of modern marvels, all right? Modern convenience, advanced healthcare air conditioning and refrigeration. Those did not exist 200 years ago, all right? 200 years is not really that long ago. They never existed, all right? Disposable income, all right? These are things that most people in most of human history could not even imagine, all right? And we have them all. Well, then why is it that people seem more miserable than ever? Why? It's because we're looking in the wrong places for the joy that only God can give. It says that they, it says at the end of that passage there, it says that the disciples were what? They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's why we do missions, right? To do what? To give people joy and the Holy Spirit. That's the power of God, right? When a person gets saved, they are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit and a, and a joy that is not dependent on your circumstances. You could be in the worst circumstances and still have joy when you have the Holy Spirit, all right? And so, and so that should give us boldness, right, to love people, right? We love God, and then we love people, right? And we, when you love people, you want them to have joy, and not just the joy that'll, that'll last for a little bit. You want them to have joy that'll last forever. And so we share Christ with them, right? And then it says there, and this is an important verse, right? It says, as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed, right? God has people out there that he is going to save. There are people out there that God is going to save. Call it election, call it predestination, call it whatever you want. God calls it grace. God calls it his powerful, effectual working in the hearts of people that should give us unbelievable confidence when we share Christ with other people. You know, if I felt called to be a missionary, but then somebody said, well, you know, you, you go out there, but you, I, you can't know if a single person is going to get saved. You know, I'll be like, well, I'm not sure if I want to go. <laughs> but if you say, hey, you go out there because guess what? God does have people he's going to save. And when you go out there and preach the gospel, he might not save all, but he's going to save some. Well, guess what? And, and guess what? He's, he, he's appointed you to be the one to go tell him. All right? So we become the means, we become the means of fulfilling God's plan of him saving those that he's appointed to eternal life. And so, and so that should give us unbelievable confidence in proclaiming the gospel, right? Because guess what? It doesn't depend on how, 
on, on how charismatic a personality you are. It doesn't depend on how well you speak. All right? It doesn't depend on how eloquent you are. It depends on the power of God working through his word. And so all you got to do is tell them. Just got to tell them. All right? And so Paul and Barnabas, uh, uh, the, the church in Syrian Antioch, they commissioned Paul and Barnabas to, to, to do what? To proclaim the gospel like they are here to Pisidian Antioch. And guess what? That church in Antioch directly participated in the eternal joy of these believers in Pisidian Antioch. All right? Because they sent out these missionaries. Because that's what we do when we send missionaries. We're sending joy. And so that's what missions is about. And that's why we do missions. And that's why we give to missions. That's why we pray for missionaries. And so as we talked about last, been, been talking about going for more in 2024. I, ho- I hope you're going for more in 2024. There's still some Bible reading plans in the back. I know some of y'all forgot them last week. It's okay. I forgive you. But make sure you grab one on the way out this week. Bible reading plans. It's okay if you finish in the first week of January next year instead of at the end of December. That's perfectly fine. But joy is at stake. We send out missionaries to send joy to the nations. We need to go for more in 2024, and part of that needs to be more of a, I pray God would, God would give us a missions mindset. I, if, you, if you don't have a regular prayer time, let me encourage you to start that, and let me encourage you to add to your prayer time at, at, at our missionaries. We got some wonderful brothers and sisters who are out there laboring for the Lord, and they need our support. They need our prayers. And this is our opportunity to, 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 to help them bring joy to the world through their work. So number three, missions producing joy to the nations. Finally, number four, missions persevering, suffering for the name. Missions persevering, suffering for the name. So, if we, so after this account um, in Pisidian Antioch, they, <clears throat> um, they get run out of town all right, which happened to them a lot, and then they end up going over to the next city about 93 miles um, southeast of uh, Antioch. That's the city of Iconium, okay? Now, the rest of Luke's descriptions of their missionary activity are much shorter because he's already given us the fuller, lengthier version of Paul's gospel and message in the account of Pisidian Antioch. So, so we, we basically know that this is the same message and the same method that Paul took to every city uh, that they went to. <clears throat> and so, um, and again here, even though the account's a little bit shorter, the results are, are similar, right? They get to Iconium, all right? He says a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And so you have Jews, Jews believing and you have Gentiles believing. However, the ones who most of the time caused trouble for Paul and Barnabas on their missionary activity was the Jewish people, <clears throat> right? Because they became, they were jealous, right? And they felt like they, they felt like Paul and Barnabas were um, kind of undermining the 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 true Jewish faith and the true Jewish religion. And so the unbelieving Jews, it says there in fourteen two, that they stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. All right, poisoned their minds against the brothers. Look, I mean, look, guys, there's nothing new under the sun, right? When, when, some, when, when somebody does something you don't like, what do we want to do in our flesh? We want to call somebody up. Can you believe what so-and-so said to me? 
And next thing you know, it's like, oh, I can't believe that, girl. Hold on, let me add so-and-so to the line. Can you oh, I can't believe that just happened. All right, what are you doing? And then some people probably don't even have it, wouldn't even have had an opinion on it till you called them about it, all right? And now they can't believe it either, all right? And so what's the point? You're poisoning, you're poisoning people's minds. Ra- rather than letting them decide for themselves, you've already kind of put it, put them on your side by giving them your perspective, all right? They were poisoning people's minds against the brothers, <clears throat> all right? And so, and so, and, and when people's minds are poisoned against you, right, then uh, when, you, when you're already kind of in the negative, if you will, it's really hard to get back in the positive. <clears throat> and so, but nevertheless, it says, it says, when all of that happened, in verse 3 there, it says, so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly the, uh, for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hand. <clears throat> so in this case, right, in this case, the, the opposition didn't immediately turn violent, okay? And, and, this, and so despite the opposition that they were facing, what did they do? They stayed, right? They stayed. And so this, again, is just, it's just another reminder, right, that that opposition isn't necessarily a sign that you're wrong or that you need to leave. Opposition might be the sign, could be the sign that you're right and that you need to stay, all right? <clears throat> because part of, part, of, part of life and part of following Jesus and part of Christian obedience and part of Christian courage, right, is, is being willing to take a stand on things and, 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 and stay and be courageous, okay? And so they stayed for a long time, building up the church and building up the, the believers there until the point where it was about to get violent before they, before they left, all right? But the point with all that is that, you know, when, you're, when we're out there serving the Lord, we just can't expect everybody to love us. I think that's one of the main lessons and takeaways from all of the book of Acts, but especially this passage, right? We, I think myself included, like we want to believe, man, if we just do everything ride and love people exactly like we should, everybody's going to like us. But the truth is, is, that's just not true, right? The gospel is inherently offensive because it inherently calls us all to repentance, all to faith in Christ, all to deny ourselves to follow somebody greater than ourselves. And that's, that, that's just built in. That's just the built-in offense of the gospel that requires a humility and a faith to accept it. All right? So it does mean that if we're going to serve Christ, we should be ready and prepared to suffer for Christ. If we're going to serve Christ, we must be prepared to suffer for Christ, right? Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. All right? From weird looks to slander, right? What's slander? Well, slander is usually it's impugning your motives. Oh, man, they did that because they hate you. Because they're bigots, they hate you, right? It's slander, right? It's lies about people's motives and intentions, all right? That, that exists, all right? So you could lose your job all the way up to losing your life, all right? These are things that Christians have endured for 2,000 years. If God calls us to do one or any of these things, we shouldn't complain about it because it's part of the job. It's part of what God calls us to do in following him. <clears throat> the salvation will not reach the ends of the earth if we're not willing to suffer a little bit for Jesus. Just not going to happen. This is the call. This is the privilege that we have to serve Christ. 
And in that light, I'm gonna, I just want to end with this quotation from a famous missionary to Africa named David Livingston. And this is what he had to say about how some people would, would kind of praise him. Oh, you, you're, you're a missionary. You're doing such a hard thing for God. This is what David Livingston had to say. And we have it on the, the quote here. He says, For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say, rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Compared to what's coming to us, there'll be nothing God can ask from us in this life and us think at the end when we finally see Jesus face to face. We will never think, oh man, that wasn't worth it. That's never going to happen. In fact, I can guarantee what is going to happen. We're going to sit there and we're going to say, why didn't I give more? Why didn't I love more? Why didn't I sacrifice more when we see our Savior? So this is our opportunity. The time is now. The time for missions and evangelism one day will be over. Our time for that privilege, for that reward is now. So let's, let's say with David Livingston, there is no sacrifices when it's following Jesus compared to the reward that's coming for us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we're, we're, we're looking to you, God, and we're asking you that you would help us go for more in 2024. More love, more obedience, more sacrifice, Lord. More of a vision, God, of, of eternity, of your kingdom and your glory. Of the, of the reward and the blessing that's coming for those who hope and trust in you. And God, I pray that you would give us more. God, I pray that you would give us more souls. God, we have friends. God, we have family. We have people that we love that so far in this life, Lord, they have counted themselves unworthy of eternal life. But Lord, we also believe that you can turn anyone's heart. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to go for more, that you would help us to love them, that you would help us to speak the truth in Christ with tears in our eyes, God, to, 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 to do whatever we can, God, in hopes that they might share the joy, the gladness of knowing you. And I pray that you would help us to look out, and God, and look up, God, at the world around us, Lord. We truly are so blessed in so many ways, 
Lord, that, that we, that frankly, Lord, we just take for granted. But I pray, Lord, that we would not treasure anything of this world more than we treasure you. And I pray that you would help us to see the people around us, the people um, near and the people far, God, that desperately need hope from you. And I pray that you would burden our hearts, God, burden my heart, Lord, that we would um, just bend our, our hearts and our efforts and our time and our energy and our resources, Lord, to put, uh, to, to labor in missions, Lord, to send joy to the nations. And so, God, we're looking to you this year. We're looking to you in 2024, and we're asking you to have our way in us and have our way through us, Lord, that you may be praised, that you would get the glory that you deserve. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.